Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, I hope this morning as, um, as we sing and enjoy fellowship with each other, I hope that when you come to church, you don't get caught up in what is modern America Christianity. Modern America, our, our modern Christianity that we find in America is checklist. I'm just kind of here. It's a Sunday. Check. Got my day done. I hope that when we sing these songs, I, I echo what my wife said just a moment ago. I love the truth that's in these songs, and I hope that as you sing them, you can sing it from the heart. Oh, come, let us adore him. The word adore means adoration. The word worship means to ascribe worth to. And you know, one of the reasons that I think it's super healthy for any person and any Christian to be at church on a Sunday morning, really, I think anytime the doors are open, but specifically on a Sunday morning, it's, it's us saying, God, I present myself to you and my week to you. And I'm coming, I wanna start my week well. God, I need you this week. And I'm not just checklisting it. God, I really wanna worship you. And I wanna start my week putting my attention completely on you because I, I think if we were honest, I think just about every one of us, if we really stopped to, to really process and think about it, I think we'd be very quick to admit, I do need God. Man, every day, I need God in my life. I need God in my marriage and my family and my kids and grandkids and friends and work and all my relationships. So I just wanna encourage you this morning as we come, whenever you come to church, man, have that heart that is just already humble before the Lord saying, God, I need you. Here's my week. I start with you. Lord, help me this week to put you first. And uh, doing that on a Sunday morning just helps us kind of set that foundation for our entire week. Well, that has nothing to do with this message. That's just free today, all right? Just a side, <laughs> side thing. Uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter number nine this morning. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter nine today. We are in a study about the names of Jesus as you read about them in Isaiah chapter 9. If you've been with us, you will remember just a couple of weeks ago, we kind of laid a little bit of a groundwork for the book of Isaiah. Of course, the book of Isaiah written by the prophet Isaiah, many believe the prophet Isaiah to be uh, perhaps the, the greatest writing prophet that the nation of Israel ever had. But Isaiah's book is specifically written to the, the people of Israel and really the people of Judah about the coming judgment of God. Uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, many people would look at the book of Isaiah and say, oh, well, it's just about completely about judgment. Well, you, you would be right in a certain sense. The, the book is about judgment. As a matter of fact, Isaiah is writing to the people of Judah, telling them, you are about to go into captivity and life as you know it is gonna be done. And he, he, he said it this way. We talked about it every week. We've been talking about it. Isaiah chapter eight, verse number 22. He describes the coming time as this. They shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. He's talking about the people of Israel. Hey, listen, you are coming into some completely dark times, a dark season. I bet this morning, uh, if you're like me, 
you have dark seasons. And times in life when it seems that you are surrounded in darkness, times in life when it seems maybe that God is distant, times in life when it seems that circumstances and situations have you at a point of hopelessness. Can I tell you, that, that's where the people of Israel were about to be. And their hopelessness was not like your and my hopelessness. You know, like we get bummed, you know, I mean, something goes, you know, someone talks bad about you at work and we're like, oh, I hate my life. I hate this. I... All right, we have situations like that. There are heavy pressures that we have, health and sickness and relationships and, uh, I mean, cancer and disease and all that type of stuff. But their heaviness was literally this. You, your family, your nation is going to be destroyed. You are gonna be taken into captivity and the life that you literally know right now is done. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a place of hopelessness. But Isaiah doesn't stop there because we read in Isaiah chapter nine and verse number one, a great little word, it's the word nevertheless. Nevertheless. The word that's there, nevertheless, Isaiah would go on to simply say this, hey, you are going into a time of hopelessness, you are going into a dark tunnel, but I wanna tell you there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope in your hopelessness. There is help in your helplessness. And Isaiah proceeds to write to the people of Israel a promise about the hope that they have because there is a coming Messiah. And he writes, there is hope because you will not be left alone. And so he writes the words that we have been looking at in Isaiah chapter 9. And you can remain seated today as we read these verses. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, Isaiah is describing the hope that is coming in their darkness. And he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Hey, he'll be in control of everything. And let me tell you his name. His name shall be called Wonderful. Hey, when he comes, you are going to be filled, in one, filled with wonder, filled with awe as you look at this coming Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful. It shall be Counselor. Hey, there is a coming king who is going to give you counsel and guide every decision. Your hopeless situation has hope because you have a counselor coming. His name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We come today, we've already talked about his name being wonderful. We've talked about his name being counselor. And today we're going to talk about his name being the mighty God the mighty God. Why is Jesus called the mighty God? And what does it have to do with you? How does it bring hope into your tunnels of darkness in life? Those are the questions we're going to answer this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into his word today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a minute, and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray and ask God, God, please speak to me today. God, please speak to me today. 
And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me today, I, I'm gonna listen to you and God, I'm gonna hear, I wanna hear from you today. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you desire to use it in our lives. And I pray that as we jump into this passage today and this study, Lord, I have, uh, I've learned so much even this week. I've been challenged, and God, I know that you have truth for us and help for us today. And so, God, I pray for every person that is here. I pray for those that are with us online. God, that you would arrest our attention and that you would help us uh, to hear from you, to be challenged by your word, to learn what you want. And God, if there is someone that is with us today that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as you, uh, if you have teenagers around you, right now that's the phase of life we're in, then you, uh, then you know of, and if you even, well, if you grew up in the late 2000s, you were a teen maybe then, uh, you know of something called a selfie. How many of you know what a selfie is? All right, a selfie is, a, and many of you have a cell phone. A, a selfie is where you take your phone out and uh, you take a picture of yourself. All right, that's, that's a selfie. So a selfie, uh, there's a lot of things about a selfie, but there's something new that's happening recently. And now, now those of you that are over 35, stay with me. I've got an illustration for you too, okay? But lately there's this, a setting that you can go to your photos and you can do a setting on selfies or on your phone where you can kind of zoom out. So right now with a lot of the teenagers and with kids who have phones, well, I'll explain it this way. The other day I come home and my daughters, my son and my daughter say, hey dad, come here. I said, all right, what? And they said, I want you to just stand like this, okay? So I stand like this and they're okay. Without moving your head, just kind of look up. And so I'm like, oh yeah. Above me is a phone taking a picture. I'm like, why are you doing that? And they take it and they're like, <laughs> they start laughing. There's an, a way that you can take the phones and you take a picture now and it elongates your face. It makes you look bigger than you are. It's really just a bad angle for a picture. And this is like the big thing now. And so people are posting these pictures of other people. And it's just like an elongated, it made my forehead look like I had like three foreheads, you know? It's like, okay, for those of you that are 35 and older, here's your thought. You remember taking film and you'd have to take it in, get it developed. Two things. Have you ever wondered what the person developing is thinking? <laughs> and just laughing, going through your photos. But have you ever got a photo back and you're looking at this, you're like, who, who is that? That's me. I don't have 16 chins. I don't have, and you're looking at this photo and the angle, the angle the picture was taken at literally changes what you look like. It changes the perspective that you are seen with. We can do that with phones, but I just want to tell you about this today. The angle at which we view Jesus changes our perspective about him. The view by which you see Christ 
It changes, I have this, if I don't see Jesus from the right angle, it changes my entire view of him and my belief in him. And here's why I say that. And we're gonna, we're gonna start here and we'll end with the same thought. If a person does not realize and recognize that Jesus is the mighty God, if a person doesn't understand that, if a person doesn't see it that way, it changes all of the belief system about Jesus. But when you see Jesus as the mighty God, can I tell you that when that happens, that too changes everything. So I wanna take just a few minutes today and I wanna answer the question, why is Jesus given the name the mighty God? And then at the end, we're just gonna take about three to five minutes at the end of the message to say, how does that help us? How does that apply to us? So in answering this question, why is he given the name the mighty God? I want you to see with me today, first off, that the name the mighty God is given to Jesus because first, Jesus is God. All right, Jesus is God. Now, you might listen to that and you might say, well, yeah, duh, pastor, I kind of understand. No, 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 my friend. This is not something that you can just lightly peruse over. This is a truth that if, listen, if Jesus is not God, then everything we believe is vain. But he is God. And when Isaiah was inspired to write, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, there are some people that will tell you, well, no, 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 listen, what that means is he is going to be like a God and have some power, have some might. No, that's not what he wrote. He is the mighty God. I love how one author said it. He said this about this, these words. The natural meaning of the words is that the one the prophet predicted is the mighty God and nothing less. We call this the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in human form. The deity of Jesus first, I want us to see his deity was declared at his birth. All right, we're answering the question, why is he called the mighty God? All right, he's called the mighty God because his deity was declared at his birth. Listen to what was said to Mary. The angel told Mary when talking about the coming Christ. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, I need you, to, I need you today. Here's, here's what I, I wanna tell you. Uh, today, you've just gotta kind of tune in to the teaching element of the message. I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach a lot today. We're gonna talk through some things. I, I, I know I try to give illustrations and be funny and tell jokes to keep attention and stuff like that. I might not have a lot of that today. I just want you to tune in because this will help you and it will help me if we can really understand the educational aspect of this. When we read scripture, we read, he shall be called the son of God. We just read that we think of a child, the son of, born to. Okay, yes, there is that meaning, but for the Hebrew, this connection, this phrase, the son of God, would literally, be, would literally mean God in human form. 
Okay, so when the baby was prophesied of coming to Mary, she is being told, you are going to give birth to God in human form. It was said this way to uh, Joseph in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is, what is it? God with us. Okay, God, eternal God, Jehovah God with us in human form. This is Jesus. What was quoted to Matthew by the angel is literally saying that God is going to become man and dwell with you. On the day of Jesus' birth, it was given to the angels. The angels actually sang this uh, to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Christ the Lord. The word Lord there, we would associate that with the Old Testament word Lord, meaning Jehovah. In this instance, it just means the mighty one. So, hey, the one who is going to be born is God in the flesh. It was declared at his birth. I see, secondly, his deity was declared at his birth, but also his deity was taught by his own mouth. Jesus taught over and over and over again that he is God. Now, now listen, don't have this mindset. I, I had this mindset, I'll be honest, I had this mindset coming into studying for this message. The mindset I had coming into studying for this message was, I know Jesus is God. Okay, so what does it have to do with me? That, that was the mindset I had when I opened my, my Bible and opened my notes up and I jumped into this. But on Wednesday, I was studying and my mind was just completely immersed in this principle that if you and I really don't just grasp the truth that Jesus is God, it will change everything. So don't just let your mind get comfortable. Yep, he's God. What's next? No, no, no. Let's, just, let's talk about this. He taught it with his own mouth. And don't miss this. If you go to scripture, there are time and time again where Jesus teaches about his deity. I think of John chapter 10, verse 27 through 33. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father, we are one. Now, now listen, then the Jews, they took up stones again to stone him. Okay, wait, why? I mean, he did, what was Jesus saying? Well, Jesus asked them, he said to them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Okay, hey, I've done a lot of miracles. Which of the miracles are you stoning me for? Notice the Jews' answer. They answered him saying, for a good work, for one of the miracles, we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Now wait. If we just read scripture, we could come to the conclusion that the, the, the Pharisees, those who hate the religious zealots that hated Jesus, we could come to the conclusion that they wanted to kill Jesus because of the miracles he was doing. But that's not true. The Pharisees did not want to kill Jesus because he was healing people. No, time and time again, 
they have answers like this. They want to stone him. Why? Because blasphemy, you are turning yourself into God. See, by Jesus using the phrase, I and my father are one, by Jesus using the phrase, I am the son of man and the son of God, the Pharisees took that and they understood he is claiming to be God in human form. This can't be. Well, no, it can be because his deity is the fact that he is God in human form. John chapter eight, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, your father rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And they said, you're saying that you know Abraham personally? And here's what Jesus said to him. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up and they wanted to stone him again. Why? He's claiming to be God. John, who walked with Jesus, wrote it this way. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This, speaking of Jesus, is the true God. And with him is eternal life. Paul said in Colossians 2.9 that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You say, Pastor, what are we trying to get across this morning? That Jesus is God. His deity was preached at his birth. His deity was taught by his own mouth, but his deity is also confirmed all throughout the word of God. We don't have time to do it this morning. I'll just give you scripture and you can write it down if you want. But you can go through and find that Jesus listed as God. John chapter 1, he created all things. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 17, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. Jesus is seen as creator God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, speaking of Jesus who sits on high. And verse number 8 summarizes by saying, but unto the Son, he, God, saith, thy throne O God, is forever and ever, calling Jesus God. Colossians chapter one, we read a minute ago, but verse 17, he is before all things and by him all things exist. Mark chapter four, verse number 41, after he calms the winds and the waves, the disciples feared exceedingly and they said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him, pointing to his deity. Titus chapter two and verse number 13, Titus says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, not speaking of two people, speaking of the same person. You see, today, I just want us to understand scriptures abound with passages that show Jesus to be the mighty God. John chapter one, he is the word that became flesh. John chapter 10 tells us about the fact that he did not uh, count it robbery to claim equality with God. Philippians chapter two, the same principle. First, second Peter chapter one and verse Number one, Peter does not hesitate to call Jesus God, our Savior. Jude, in the book of Jude, talks about his own half-brother and simply says these words, our only Lord God, even the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, I am just telling you this morning that the word of God is literally drenched with the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. And you and I need to recognize that. Why is he called the mighty God? Because Jesus is God in human form. But I see secondly today, not only is he called the mighty God because he is God, but he's called the mighty God because Jesus has all power and all knowledge. 
He has all power and all knowledge. People can refer to these traits as the omnis of Scripture. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. What are those? All-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. Hey, since he is God, he literally has all knowledge. He has all power. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, we can see these these truths in a number number of ways. First, during Jesus' earthly ministry, we see the supernatural knowledge of Jesus. You, You know this, but you read scripture and time and time and time again, you read that Jesus knew the hearts of men. I actually love it when I read that. Because I don't know about you, but I kind of get frustrated at people in the Bible. Now, if you're like me, unfortunately, sometimes we put ourselves on a higher playing field. We're like, I would never do that. Peter, yeah, I'd never be a follower like Peter. Now, we're wrong. We have the same fallacy they have. But when I look at the Pharisees, sometimes I'm like, I'd never be like that. But unfortunately, I am. But I love to see it when they get their comeuppance. You know what I'm talking about? Like they say something to Jesus, and I love when you read it, and the Bible says things like this. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them. (laughs) And this particular passage, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth falleth in the passage. that The context of what is taking place here doesn't necessarily matter for our message this morning. I just want us to understand the context of Jesus, knowing the thoughts of man. They would always try to connive and try to come around. (laughs) This will get him. But then you read Jesus, knowing their thoughts. Mark chapter 12. They ask him this question. Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, he said unto them, why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. Again, the context of the passage isn't what we're looking at this morning. It's just understanding Jesus knew the thoughts of men. Jesus taught from the standpoint of God because he was God. What does this help us understand? His knowledge. He has supernatural knowledge. I'm thankful today that God knows my thoughts even today. Do you know why I'm thankful for that? This is just a a simple thing. I just want to tell you real quick. I'm thankful that God knows my thoughts today because... The Bible says that I can pour my heart out to him, but when I pour my heart out to him, sometimes there's things that I don't even know. Hey, he knows it. Aren't you thankful he knows that? Man, he knows you. Why? Because he is a supernatural knowledge. He has supernatural knowledge. You can go to Many places in scripture and you can find and discover Jesus's supernatural knowledge by how he dealt with circumstances. We won't read the whole story, but I think of John chapter eight, verses three through 11, uh, the woman taken in the act of adultery. I love the story. Here's the Pharisees. They bring to Jesus this woman and this you know, woman of the streets and they say, hey, look, she was taken in the very act of adultery. What say you should happen to her? And of course, according to the law, she should be stoned. And here's this accusation. Here's this woman, no doubt, weeping in despair in a, a moment of, of sin that she knows she's been, she's been caught and no doubt hurting from this. And these Pharisees that are there waiting and they're picking up stones. 
And Jesus says, well, he who is without, the first, he is without sin cast the first stone. And then he just stoops down and he begins writing in the sand or writing in the dirt with his finger. And the Bible says that as Jesus is writing in the dirt with his finger, that beginning from the oldest all the way to the youngest, people start looking and start leaving. Here's what I like to think maybe Jesus was doing. He's like, thief. Put an arrow. Liar. Put an arrow. I I don't know what Jesus was doing, but we do know that in his supernatural knowledge, he took a situation that would cause any of us to go, I don't know what to do. And he knew exactly how to address it. Hey, can I tell you in your life, the situations that you don't know what to do, he knows how to address it. He knows what needs to happen. I see that his earthly ministry shows us his supernatural knowledge, but I also see today that during his earthly ministry, we see his supernatural power. We're talking about Jesus being the mighty God, being one of all knowledge and one of all power. In John chapter three, yeah, you, you know the passage. John 3 is the famous, I mean, one of the most well-known verses in all of scripture, right? John 3, 16. You, you know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what is the context around the passage? Well, there's a man, he's a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. He would actually, many scholars believe, be one of the leading Pharisees in the region at that time. I want you to listen at what he approaches Christ, what he says when he comes to Jesus in John chapter three, verse number two, because here's what Nicodemus says. The same came to Jesus by night and he said unto him, Rabbi or master, we know, now pay attention to it. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Well, how do we know this? Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, now what is he saying? This is Nicodemus telling Jesus, we know that you are God. We know that no one could, okay, um, In here, we, we know this. There were other people doing miracles. Did you know that? Did you know that throughout history, there have been people that have done some miracles? Even Jesus talked about that. Jesus even said that the devil has people going around and doing little things. Okay, and I'm not trying to scare you this morning. Well, what does that mean? Don't worry about it. Jesus said it doesn't mean anything. Because here's what Jesus said. Here's what, here's what Nicodemus was saying to Christ. Okay, we've seen miracles done, but no one has had your power. No one is doing what you are doing. And I want you to think about the ministry of Christ. I mean, what miracles did he do? Well, Jesus did every miracle you could think of. As a matter of fact, in the book of John, John wraps up his whole book. In John chapter number 21, he says this, that the heavens could not contain the miracles and the teachings that Jesus did on the earth. Now, you and I, we look at the Bible and we look at the four gospels and we think, oh, that's a summary of his life. No, 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 my friend. That's a synopsis of his life. 
It is not everything that took place. No, there are literally hundreds and hundreds, and I would probably say thousands of miracles that Jesus did in his day. Why did he do that? Because he was God in the flesh. I think of Matthew chapter number nine. I love the story. The man is being lowered through the roof, and it says, behold, they brought him to him, a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, son, Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. Why'd they say that? Well, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said, wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he, the sick man, arose and departed to his house. Now, we read the story. It's like, yeah, Jesus healed a man. Ah, but if you read into it, here's what takes place. This man comes in, and Jesus looks at the man. Everybody knows he's sick of the palsy. He's bedridden. Everybody knows he needs healing. And Jesus doesn't heal him. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the Bible says the Pharisees got mad. Well, why'd they get mad? Mark and Luke help us understand they get mad because they say, well, who can forgive sins except God? Jesus knew that. So he proves his power. He, <laughs> sometimes, okay, I'm a little brother. I'm sarcastic. Sometimes I think that Jesus had some sarcasm without sin. I think this is one of those moments. You say, Pastor, I would never think that. Okay, then you don't think that. That's fine. I think Jesus is like, thy sins be forgiven thee. And he already knows what these guys are thinking. They get mad. He's like, oh, oh, you guys are upset? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's because only God can forgive sins. Okay. Hey, take up your bed and walk. No, no, yeah. No, I was going to heal you the whole time. I just wanted to show these guys that I am God because guy's like, okay, gets up, takes his bed, walks away. Pharisees, grab some stones. Let's stone him. Let's get him. Why? Because he's doing this to prove to them, like, I am God. I have all knowledge. I have all power. The story continues. You could go to Luke chapter seven and you find that when Jesus, it says, there came a fear on all. They glorified God saying that a great prophet has risen up among us that God has visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John, all right, John the Baptist, they come and they tell John all these things. And John calling to him, two of his disciples, he sends them to Jesus. Hey, go ask him, Are you the one that should come or do we look for another? And these men, they came to Jesus and they said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, art thou he that should come or look we for another? And in the same hour, in that very moment, during that time, Jesus was curing many of the infirmities, plagues, evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. And then Jesus answering those people that were sent from John the Baptist said, go back to him and tell John the things that you have seen Tell them the things you have heard, and then catch the list. He says, tell them the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, 
The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor to the poor the gospel is preached. Now, that is a direct connection with prophecy that was given all the way back in Isaiah about the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah would do works that would heal the lame, the blind, the sick, the leper, and he would preach the coming kingdom of God. You know what Jesus was doing to John? He was saying, hey, John, confirmation. I am the Messiah and my power completely proves it. You see, the fact of the matter in scripture is this, that Jesus has all knowledge and he has all power. So why is he the mighty God? Well, he's the mighty God because he is God in human form. He's the mighty God because he has all knowledge and he has all power. But I love this today and I hope you don't miss it. Jesus is the mighty God because Jesus fights for you. He fights for you. How many of you have ever studied out or been interested in Greek mythology? You ever studied that out? No, I'm a few folks. For those of you here that say, I, I know nothing about Greek mythology. Okay, that's fine. You don't necessarily need to. I'm going to give you some names, all right? You're going you're gonna to know some names. Zeus, Hercules, Athena. If I just gave you some names, you'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg. Those are names of Greek gods, Okay, now in our culture, you know, they make a movie out of everything, right? In our culture, they make movies about these Greek gods. If you've ever watched a movie or read a book about a Greek god, you ready? I'm going to give you the storyline right now. Here's the storyline. I am a god that will fight for you. That's the storyline. Hercules, I'm the god of the earth. I'm going to fight for the people of the earth. And then you find out halfway through the movie, there's like an ulterior motive. Like, yeah, I'm fighting for the people of the earth, but also I got a little side hustle going on. Like, there's something else I got to do over here. And it's a personal thing and it's a private thing and it's a pride thing. And you always, you always discover this with those Greek gods. You discover this big wrestling match between do I help the people or do I help myself? Do I defend the people or do I, you know, do I defend myself and just let them... Can I tell you this morning that God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he is not a God with an ulterior motive. He is a God that literally fights for the people and fights for you on a daily basis. And that is one other reason of why he is called the mighty God. You can find this all throughout scripture. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse number 11. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He would later say this, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I have known of mine. As the father knoweth me, even know I the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. My friend, I just want you to understand that Jesus fights for those who belongs to him, who belong to him. He defends you. He fights for you. He defends you against the attacks of the enemy. He defends you against the attacks of this world and culture. He defends you against the attacks from your own heart and your own struggles. And the fact of the matter today is he is constantly working and consistently working to defend you and to fight for you. And in the times of your life, when you and I feel like we are completely alone, can I just remind you that there is a God who became man to die for sinful man so that you and I might be redeemed. What is that? That is God in the flesh fighting for you and for your salvation and for your forgiveness. 
for me and for my salvation and my forgiveness. Hey, Jesus fought for that. He defends you and he is constantly working on your behalf. Let me just tell you a few ways this morning that he fights for you and in your life. As God, he fights for the healing within your heart. Luke chapter four and verse number 18, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance unto the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. In, in Luke four, Jesus is quoting from the book of Isaiah saying, hey, I am the fulfillment of what was given because I am here to heal you. Can I tell you this morning that he is still, listen, God is still in the healing business. And I'm not just talking about physical ailments, although we serve the great physician. And sometimes God heals a physical ailment and sometimes God heals it by bringing a person home to heaven. But can I tell you this morning that God is still interested in healing marriages and he is still interested in healing relationships with family that is broken and God is still interested in healing relationships at work. And he is still interested in healing friendships within the church. And he's still interested in healing your bitterness and your hurt from how someone hurt you five years ago or 15 years ago or last week. Hey, God is still a God of healing. He wants to heal your heart. Well, how could he do that? Because he is God. Hey, he fights for your healing. What else does he fight for? Oh, I love this one. Don't miss it. He fights for you to have rest. He fights for you to have rest. I love the verses in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. You know them. When Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Excuse me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, you know what Jesus said? He said, hey, I am coming because I want to give you rest. The word rest there, you know what it means? It's counterintuitive to our society. I read a book uh, last year. It's a book called Margin. Did you know that the word stress and the word anxiety did not actually hit mainstream until the mid-1900s. Now, anxiety is there. To be filled with care, worry is there. That's through scripture. That's been, right, care and worry and anxiety has been all throughout history. But what started happening in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s? Hey, you know what happened? Life got busy. You know what happens? If you're like me, you have a day like yesterday. Yesterday was a great day. Every, everything went well. But you know what happened is uh, we, had a, we had a teacher's uh, clubhouse workers training, and it went great. Appreciate all of our clubhouse kids workers. And I, I hope for those of you that have kids that serve, or well, hopefully your kids serve too. I hope if you have kids that attend the clubhouse kids, I hope you'll thank all of the teachers that serve and give up of their time and do that. And uh, man, it's not easy. 
It's not easy to spend a whole time with rugrats all the time, you know? And how many of you know your kids can be rugrats? Henri, I know my kids can, and they're teenagers. I apologize to Pastor Rob. I'm kidding. I love our kids. <laughs> hey, you know what happens? Life gets busy. Yesterday, I had that luncheon. I finished some things here. I went home. It was probably about 3.30 or 4 o'clock. And I got home. I, I changed into some sweats and a sweatshirt and started a fire. I sat down in the living room and Hannah was painting and the kids were doing something. I was just kind of sitting there thinking about the day and going to turn a football game on, which we're not going to talk about because it was depressing last night. <laughs> but I, uh, I sit in there and you ever have it? Your heart's just going. And you're, and you're like, why? What's going on? Like, are we under attack? You know, and, and you're just having all these thoughts, right? And your brain is just like, ah, <laughs> you know what I have to do at those times? Like I did it yesterday. I just closed my eyes and I stopped. <sighs> Lord, I'm feeling, I'm, I, it wasn't a bad day. It wasn't, it wasn't pressure. It was just the tumultuous life that we live coming in. All of us have those moments, but we also have, you ever have those moments where you sit back and you're just like, man, things are good. No anxiety, just complete rest. Can I tell you that God, Jesus, he fights for that type of rest in your life. He fights for you to have rest in your soul, peace in your soul. And society has changed and made us so busy, but he fights for peace in your life. We know, and I just spoke about this, he fought for your forgiveness. Man, that's why Jesus came, is to die on the cross, to be buried and raised again three days, to prove that he's God. Why did he do that? To fight for you. But the Bible also tells us in Hebrews chapter seven, verse number 25, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth and maketh intercession for them. Hey, you know what God, you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's standing for you. He's fighting for you. All right. You can close your Bible. We're done with the teaching part. What does it matter to me? I want you to go back to where we started just a minute ago in talking about pictures and the angles. Here's what I want to tell you this morning, that when I view Jesus as the mighty God, when I get the right perspective, when I see him for who he is, it changes everything. Why does it change everything? Because if he really is the mighty God, then that means I should humble myself to him. If he's the mighty God, then I submit to him. If he's the mighty God, then I can trust him. If he's the mighty God, I can lean into him. If he's the mighty God, I can listen to him. If he's the mighty God, I'm gonna walk with him. If he's the mighty God, I'm gonna seek him. If he's the mighty God, I'm going to give him my marriage. If he's the mighty God, I'm going to apply his wisdom to my family and my kids. 
If he's the mighty God, then I'm going to allow him to orchestrate and work in my life through the day. If he's the mighty God, I'm going to submit to him at work. If he's the mighty God, I'm going to give him my words. If he is the mighty God, I'm going to surrender to him my action. If he's the mighty God, I'm going to surrender to him my motives. If he is the mighty God, I'm going to serve him with my life. No longer am I going to be, listen, no longer am I going to be someone who just gets up and goes to work. No, I'm going to get up and go with purpose because the mighty God is going to direct my day. As a parent, I'm not just going to lead my family today. No, the mighty God is going to lead me and I'm going to help and invest in my kids today. Retirement isn't just a time of just, well, I'm just gonna do my own thing. No, 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 God, I'm gonna still follow you and every moment, everywhere you take me, I'm going to witness for you and reach people for you. Why? Because you are the mighty God. If he's the mighty God, I'm gonna take him at his word. If he is the mighty God, I'm going to work in my life to live a life, to steward my life that says, God, I recognize you are not some God. You are not a God with might. You are the mighty God, and you are my Lord and my Savior. You see, here's what we do, though, sometimes. A lot of you ladies today are wearing earrings, wearing a necklace. Some of you guys might have one. Some of you guys, you have a bracelet on or a watch. You know, we do sometimes, we see God as an accessory for life. He's just a piece of jewelry. He's just something to a watch just to keep around, and it's like an Apple watch. I get a notification every now and then from God. My friend, he doesn't want to be an accessory in your life. He wants to lead every part of your life, and if he's God, we'll let him. So I got a question for you. This week, listen, this week as you go through life, will you see him as the mighty God? This week as you go through life, will you submit to him as the mighty God? I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. And maybe you're here today and you've never submitted to him as the mighty God that died for your sins. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior this morning, this morning I want to encourage you to make that decision. This morning I want to ask you today, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, today choose him. Today ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and come into your life and save you. If you do know Christ as Savior, I want to ask you today, would you make the decision, Lord, this week, this week I want to submit to you as my mighty God.